Hello and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. I'm David Lally, and today I'm in the studio with Brian to ask him your questions in response to his recent Bold Predictions podcast, episode 131. We broadcast the first 15 minutes of today's show on Facebook, so if you want to catch a little tour through the studio here, visit the Brian Buffini Facebook page, and you can find a link in the show notes. Our Buffini insiders had first priority on the questions you'll hear answered today, and we also heard from many of you on social media. Okay, Brian, first up is Matt McGrady from Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Brian. What are your top three data points in a local market to forecast local market real estate predictions in 2019? Mm. All right, Matt, I saw this question, so I did put a little thought into it. I always want to know how many days the average home has been on the market. That's really the key, so the speed of the market. I want to see the number of months inventory, so seller, buyer market, right? We know it's six months. We're entering into a buyer's market, and we're going to get there nationwide in 2019. And then I want to know the list-to-sell price ratio. So what percentage is the average listing selling for? Last year, it was 99%. The market time was 19 days. That's pretty quick. That's a pretty high price. And that also fosters an environment for low-cost for all the tech stuff, and that's why 2018 will be the zenith of that here for a bit of a while. Okay. Uh, We got questions that came in from all over the country and all over Canada too. Debbie Drummond from Las Vegas, down the road from us here in uh, San Diego. What do you think of Zillow's recent move to referral fees and also Redfin's discount fee programs? Nice. Debbie Drummond's from Las Vegas, dude. I'm just looking at that. Mm -hmm. Down the road in San Diego. Well, you know. Lally did a lot of rocking back in the day, you know what I mean? So, Las Vegas, San Diego. I had a feeling I was going to Just regret. say no to drugs, David. <laughs> say no to drugs. So, back to the question before I enjoy busting your chops too much. So, what do I think of Zillow's recent move to referral fees? So, you know, there's a big game that's being played that most day-to-day agents are not aware of. Mm. News Corp, which owns Realtor.com, just bought a company called OpCity. And I mentioned OpCity in the bold prediction. So OpCity is a company that was getting Zillow's leads that weren't, you know, and we, again, we talk about leads and what's a lead and what's not a lead. So basically, all these uncalled leads from Zillow, they were buying them, unleashed a telemarketing operation, mm-hmm. and they would just cold call whatever form of those that database is till something popped up. And if something popped up, they'd take it, cultivate it, try to make it into a lead, and then hand it off to a realtor for a 35% referral fee. That company just got bought for $225 million. Why? Because News Corp, now News Corp's a massive organization. They own Realtor.com. Why? Because Realtor.com is now trying to create its own traffic. They're running ads, trying to get buyers and sellers, consumers onto their site, and then saying, hey, we can actually generate leads. And so they're handing off leads. Zillow was late to the party. So Zillow looked at UpCity taking advantage of their, their process leads, yeah. or whatever. We, again, we're careful with the inquiries mm-hmm. or impressions or whatever, and they're not always leads, right? And Zillow said, man, we got to do this ourselves. And so you look at those companies, for example, it all gets back to the same thing. You know, those are big issues for realtors if realtors aren't generating their own leads. Right. That's the big thing. Right. It's a big deal. And there's people very nervous. They should be. People should be very nervous about that. If you're not in control of your own lead generation process, you should be scared Mm -hmm. out of your wits. Because guess what? You're about to become an Uber driver. You know, you think about it. If you're driving a cab and you're sitting at the airport, you're at the mercy of when the next person comes to you. You don't know control over that. Someone calls you. You know, cabbies wouldn't necessarily be people working the database. 
So along comes a technology that makes it good for the consumer, makes it easy to use, yada, yada, yada. But they take 28% of the fee. So now the cabbie who's paying for the car, the insurance, the gas, and is doing the work is now working for 28% less. That's where a certain part of the real estate business is going. But the difference between us and a cabbie is we can actually generate the customer. Right. We don't have to be at the mercy of that. So Redfin's a different issue. Redfin is massive market value. They have huge publicly traded money behind them. Mm -hmm. They're a discount brokerage, which also has a portal similar to Zillow. Now, their deal is they're trying to make realtors their uh, employees. Now, that's been tried before as well. And, And I'll be honest with you, with all this innovation and all this stuff, there's very little that I'm seeing that I haven't seen before. I see these new brands of real estate companies, and they're packaging themselves beautifully, like nothing the real estate business has never seen before. It's exactly what the real estate business has seen before. <laughs> Redfin, exactly what the real estate business has seen before. 1% brokerages. Here's what I won't tell you. When a property sells in 19 days, and when a property sells at 99% value, I can tell you, I'm 32 years in the business. You know, whether it was help you sell, I pay one. 1% realtors pop up out of the market left, right, and center. The difference being is when the market changed in the past, those companies disappeared overnight because mm-hmm. real estate's a labor-intensive business. But the fact of the matter is now we have companies that are publicly traded, so they'll be able to sustain and stay around longer. But trust me when I tell you, there's an awful lot of that stuff that it works great in a fast, hot market right. where the consumer goes, anybody can sell my house. And at 19 days and at 99% list, uh, they're not far wrong. Yeah. But that's changing. No, that's good perspective. And that's why I say we get to 19 days to 30 days or 35 days. It changes everything. We get from four months inventory to six months inventory. It changes everything. Now, I do believe there's still commission pressure all over the country like we haven't seen before. But when the market gets slower, it's much better for a professional realtor. Mm -hmm. When the market gets slower, it's much better for a professional brokerage. So I know I'm answering a lot of questions at the same time. But I know that's on people's minds. Right. It's something to be scared of if you don't generate a lead. It's nothing to be scared of if you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've worked for you for 16 years, and I feel like this is the third time just for me that I've seen this. I've heard you talk about moving to a professional's market before, and that's what we have in our membership, a lot of professionals that are just doing it the right way. Tracy Hoggard from Raleigh, North Carolina. Open Door is making serious inroads in the Raleigh, North Carolina market. So this is kind of a related question. Yeah. What are your thoughts and predictions regarding the impact? So again, Open Doors have been there many years. These are companies that make full price offers on people's homes. So people who are in a hurry, people who might be facing a, a sticky situation, wherever else, and they're going to take a discount on their house. There's nothing new in that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing new in that from the fellow that sticks a sign in the yard and says, I buy ugly houses, you know. <laughs> uh, they just got a nice website and uh, this and that and the other. And again, people get freaked out because we tend to be very short term. 19 days to sell a house, 99% mm-hmm. list price. Don't really need to worry too much. You'll see it more and more when the markets get extended. But for these guys as well, all of a sudden the margins, like you're going to see right now, a lot of flippers leaving the business. You know, for first-time buyers, they're competing with people who are buying and flipping and turning. The interest rates start to move up a little bit. It becomes a little harder for a first-time buyer to generate a down payment. So what you're going to see is the flippers are going to start being squeezed out of the market because the margins will be smaller. This is the first time you've ever talked about any of this stuff, too, isn't it? Well, there you go. Never before. Flipper. Flipper (laughs) was one of my favorite shows growing up. Only a dolphin, yeah. (laughs) Stay out of the water. (laughs) (laughs) Laurie Boyle from Springfield, Virginia. There are a lot of teams taking hold in the Mm. real estate marketplace. I know you've been talking about this recently. Do you still think that a single agent can make it financially in 2019? We have a massive production in teams. 
25% of all agents are now part of teams. That is a massive number. But the other side of that is 75% of agents are not. Right. So do I think an agent can do well by themselves? Of course they can. Mm. Now, do I believe it helps to get help, for particularly like an assistant or a part-time assistant? If a person will focus on the lead generation activities we teach at Buffini Company, they're going to have all the leads they can handle. Mm -hmm. They're going to be doing fine. And if they get more leads they can handle, they can refer those leads off. And if they're consistently getting more leads than they can handle, they can develop a team themselves. Nice. Because the purpose of a team is to handle surplus leads. Now, one of the challenges that's going on right now is a lot of younger folks, a lot of millennial people getting into real estate, they want to be part of a team. They like the idea of that. They're okay. The average split is 35% when the team leader provides a lead. So they're making smaller commissions, smaller amounts. It's very good for the team leader. The pressure on the team leaders to generate the lead, and that's why a lot of the team leaders are buying these leads. So that's why you've had a, a massive proliferation in the funding of these companies that are offering the online lead service because you've got a lot of team leaders going, i got a lot of mouths to feed. I'm here to provide the leads. And so now here's what happens. You get your least skilled person with the least amount of experience calling the lowest level lead Ouch. that are very expensive. Long term, that's a challenge. So again, everything everything starts and ends with the ability to generate a customer. Hmm. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. And this one here is, is kind of related to what you're saying there. Linda Urban from Land Lakes, Florida. Please share your top three tips for a brand new realtor scheduled for the state exam just in a few days, actually, nice. the 21st. Nice. Uh, to gain their first listing and hit the ground running. Nice. Well, uncontaminated, Linda. That's great. You got no bad habits. And also for you, this is a great market. You don't know anything else. It's just a super good market for pros. You're going to do very well. The key component is make sure you find yourself in a broker that's very supportive, that supports training. You know, obviously I have a vested interest in this, but we just started our brand new training program, the Pathway to Mastery, the Essentials course, and you couldn't start in a better place. Mm. You got to get trained. You got to become skilled. And then a couple of quick tips. Start your database, make a list of everyone you know. Let them all know you're going to be uh, getting your license and you're excited and enthusiastic to get up and out of it. And then third is get into the train and start applying the lead generation side, the marketing side of it, and you'll do fine. Nice. Uh, we're going to go up to Chile, Ontario, Sudbury. Terry Ames is up there, and he asked, Hi, Brian. Podcast is amazing. Keep it up. I listen to you every day. With our small team of three, we're ready for an assistant, but I'm a terrible delegator mm -hmm. because I have a hard time communicating what I need, and giving up control. Do you have any advice? I do, I do. And obviously, we have a whole range of resources to help you there, Terry, in regards to the coaching side of things, whether it be the perfect day for an assistant, dialogues to use, how to hand off leads, all that kind of good stuff. But I think the real key component is you don't have confidence that anybody else can do it as well as you. And that's a very common dynamic in a small business. When you do it right, you'll wake up one morning and go, my gosh, a lot of people can do it better than me. So I think the answer for you, ultimately, SOPs, Standard Operating Procedures. So what I would do is I would get an assistant to come along and follow everything I do. I would voice record on my phone everything I do. I'd make a list of everything I do. And at every path along the way, then I'd turn it into a manual for an SOP. And that becomes the key, that you can have interchangeable people and interchangeable parts who know what to do and how to do it. We were working on it yesterday here for Buffini Company. Think of the very And thing. we have a dynamic called the Buffini Way. Well, I have 14 departments and 250 people. And so we have to have interchangeable parts here all the time. I learned how to do that when I had a small real estate team. Mm -hmm. And it's even more important when you're small. So it takes a bit of time. But if you do your SOPs and you put it in writing, 
you only have to do it once and then you can make modifications to it along the way so that would be the best tip awesome. I have for you there okay so let's keep going with these great questions Sharon Tyree from Martinsville Indiana what one thing is the most important to mention about yourself on a listing appointment mm. well this would be a good answer for anybody and it's not one thing it's three things okay so 1986 Lou Holtz there's three things that every customer wants to know can I trust you are you good at what you do and do you care about me those are the three things people need to know. Those are the things to articulate, that you're interested in them, that you know what the heck you're doing, that you'll get it figured out, and that you care about them. And that, that's all people want to know. That's all they want to know in 1986. That's all they're going to want to know in 2026. This is a great one. Uh, Caroline Murphy from Ocean Township in New Jersey. A very transparent question for us here. Uh, how important is technology? I have a master's degree. I passed the real estate and insurance exams both first time but I just can't get a handle on technology. Mm -hmm. I've tried. I feel like an idiot. Classes haven't helped. I've become lost, and I would have walked out on it, but I didn't want to be rude to the instructor. It's pathetic. I want to get back into real estate so I can retire sometime in this century. <laughs> is there any hope for me, Brian? Yes, there is, Murphy. Absolutely. So a couple of things. Uh, you're not alone in this. Believe it or not, tens of thousands of people who come to our seminars this year, and the number one question at the back of the table is, how do I download a podcast? Wow. And what was interesting is I was talking to one of our key sponsors over at Wells Fargo, and she says, people ask her all the time, like, how do I do this? I want to get the Brian Buffini show. Mm. And she says some of them are millennials, which is kind of surprising, right? Obviously, the technology is coming out as hot and heavy. Mm. We have entered a place right now where people have technology overload, social media overload. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is it's not that you're not smart. You have a bloody master's degree. It's that we're overloaded and the concentration it's requiring. The key component is to find the technologies that are vital, right. simple, and duplicatable. So first of all, Carolyn, I hope you're using the uh, referral maker, CRM. So we built a CRM, a contact management system, to support the working by referral system. And we have won award after award after award because it looks great and it's simple to use. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we entered into a space that was dominated by big, big companies for years that offer 30, 40, 50 more features mm -hmm. than our CRM does, and yet ours is the fastest growing in the country. And the reason being is that we have worked hard to keep it simple. It's easy to overwhelm. You work with me in the content business. Mm -hmm. Every time we're creating an event or a training program, you know what? There's more good stuff left out than oh, there is put in. Cutting room floor. The cutting yeah. room floor is the best seminar in the world. The cutting room floor is the best <laughs> training. The cutting room floor is the best podcast. Yeah. Except the key component is creating things that people can tolerate and take in. We do a podcast. I'm a, like, what can people take in? Mm -hmm. What can they use? Mm -hmm. We build a training program. I build a presentation. We build a CRM. Let me tell you, I have technology people working for me. And sometimes it's an insecurity. It's like, well, you know, so-and-so has this and so-and-so has this. And we're not smart if we don't have that. Right. And so you got to understand a lot of people who develop technology, it comes from this place of one-upmanship. It's not often from a place of service. And that's why you look at the people who thrive with technology are the people who've made it simple. And so, Caroline, I think it's very important, like taking classes on it. Like, I'll be honest with you, if you know a couple of younger folks, like my kids help me out to navigate around what I need to navigate on social media. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I know how to get around Instagram, I know how to get around Snapchat, and I know how to get around Facebook. 
My kids help me do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't get into using all the features they have and this and there. Don't need to. Uh, but I have a job, okay? And I, I work for a living, right? right? I know enough about those kinds of things. The next thing is, if you're in your real estate business, Caroline, one of the things you want to do is grow your business to the point you get someone to help you. Mm-hmm. So I have my assistant, Jeanette. And you know what? Jeanette's far more proficient in technology than I am. Great. She continues to do so. You have to grow to what you need, but I think what you're feeling, Caroline, is very common, and that is being overwhelmed. And that is not an uncommon dynamic. Right. Uh, you're going to see conditions talked about this. Psychologists are going to come up with terms for mm-hmm. it. People are, what I see, like when we're talking to people, and we're, we're, oh, you need to do this and this. If it's more than three clicks, they're like, ah. Yeah. So uh, you're not alone. Learn the basics of the ones you need. Make sure you're able to communicate, articulate. You've got to be able to track what you do, you know, and then maybe you can get someone to help you. Mm-hmm. Just avoiding the distraction factor, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Michael Hubscheid from San Diego, California. Thank you for the great podcast. You expect nationwide that sales will be flat comparing 2018 to 2019, but looking locally at the San Diego market, sales have been down double digits each month versus the same month in 2017. Yeah. Well, everything starts west and comes east, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll just speak, you know, again, and it's very difficult. When I do the bold predictions, one of the reasons I love doing it when I do it is it's following the political season and so on and so forth. Because right now, every comment you make is run through the prism of politics, Mm. okay? And uh, like I mentioned before, I really don't give a rip city. In my public life, all I do is analyze the numbers, and I try to understand the trends so that I can help people make good decisions, navigate through the changes in the market, and profit from it. Mm-hmm. So what am I seeing in California? I'm seeing the most heavily taxed state in the country. I'm seeing one of the most expensive places to live in the country. And what we're having is a massive migration of people from affordability. And so, like, I have my oldest son just bought his first house. And to get a house for a, a startup couple in California right now is hard. Mm. It's a very hard... You know, I, I talked to a, a guy the other day at a sports banquet, and he goes, I don't know how my kids are going to live here. How are they going to start? So one of the problems we're facing right there is cost of living. San Diego has something going for it, and California has something going for it called this amazing weather, and so on and so forth, but it's getting harder and harder to live. So we're losing a certain vein of people. We have it at Buffini Company. More and more people come to us going, I love Buffini Company. I want to work here forever. Can you find a way for me to work out of state? And I would say that's increased tenfold in the last three years. Gosh. So not to say, you know, with the last Californian, you know, who leaves the state, leave a key. It's just we are losing a certain vein. We are seeing it show up in the employment. We're seeing them in companies getting established out of state that normally would have been established in California. They're going to tax-friendly states where there's less also regulation. And that's just the facts. That's not mm-hmm. political. That's just the facts. And we see that in places like Texas, Tennessee, Utah, Nevada, a little bit to Florida, but that's where it's going. Thousands of companies have moved to Texas. So in California, we're seeing a little bit of that. We're seeing migration into the state by a lot of people who either have very little or an awful lot. So that's a very specific real estate San Diego market piece. But, you know, Mark, keep generating those leads. That's all I got to say. It might be a tad slower in San Diego than the rest of the market, but it's not going to be certainly not a recession or anything like that. 
Gary Nobile from uh, Santa Clara. Hi, Gary. Known you many years. Uh, do you think Silicon Valley, an area where a portion of employee compensation is often linked back to stock options, yeah. will experience residential real estate value decreases in 2019? No, I don't think it's going to be decreases, but you're very, very much in tune there, Gary, as you know. Uh, it's so expensive up in Silicon Valley that, you know, you're basically, you have people getting $250,000 in stock options to come and move there, which is exactly what I'm talking about in San Diego. Only we don't have Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So there it is tied into the wealth effect of the stock market and so on and so forth. And so I, I don't think it's going to be a down year, but I think it'll be a flat year. Julie Gardner, Oceanside, California, just literally down the road, unlike Las Vegas, which is not down the road, no. as I said. No. When becoming a real estate investor, is it wise to buy real estate around the country or stay in one's local market? Right. So I have an ever-evolving statement on this. So I always used to say only buy real estate that you can drive to and come home for lunch. Mm. And because I've owned properties that were further away and I've had problems and it's very challenging to do that. So it really gets down to the life cycle of your investment curve. So when you're first buying an investment real estate, you're doing all the work yourself. You know, when somebody calls and they got a broken toilet, you're fixing a broken toilet or you're calling the handyman to do it. And then when you start getting more properties, you can get a property manager and that kind of stuff. So those are types of issues. When you're taking a look at investment from a national standpoint, the big question, I've done a podcast on this, is do you want appreciation or do you want cash flow? Mm. Now, every time I ask somebody that question, they give me the answer, I want both. But I will share with you, if you shoot for both, you tend to miss both. So do you want appreciation? If you want appreciation, you go to markets that have appreciated historically, which means that they're more expensive. If you want cash flow, you go to places that have cash flow historically. So, for example, I have friends that I've encouraged, and they bought properties in um, Indiana. They bought rental properties in Indianapolis 12 years ago and had very nice cash flow, good management in place, larger properties, and one of them just sold the property for exactly what he paid for 12 years ago. And it hasn't gone up a dollar. Now, a lot of things have gone up in the last 12 years, right? So he bought property with the express purpose of getting cash flow, and he bought it in the right place. I have other friends who bought in Alabama and other places like that, South Carolina, and they bought rental properties, and those properties have not appreciated hardly at all. But they've gotten good cash flow. Now, in for example, if in San Diego you want to buy a rental property and you want to make a cash flow, you have to put a monster amount of money down. And so that's the, the game, right? The great news of technology and like our network today, like our network, we have agents, the best agents, all over North America. And you can find an agent and you can find a good relationship and someone with a like-minded philosophy through our network. Right. So now the world is smaller. Now because technology, the country's smaller. So you could much easily buy property out of state today than you could years ago. It just wouldn't be. If someone was starting their investment life, I wouldn't tell them to do it's not that. not where they start off. No, I think you save your money, work hard, buy something small, see if you like it. See if you like being a landlord because being a real estate investor is a different business. It's, it's a business. Mm-hmm. It's not an investment. Mm-hmm. You know, putting your money in the stock market, isn't it? this is a business. Okay. I happen to like it. That's how I built my fortune. But uh, it's a different business. Yeah. Cole Casey from Denver, Colorado. Brian, you've gotten a significant group of people to be your mentors, from uh, Zig Ziglar to Jim Rohn and others. My question is, how did you initially ask, how did you start these relationships and identify the mentors you wanted? So what advice would you have for someone like me or others in their early 30s who respect people in their 
industries yeah. and they're wanting to build and grow mentorship relationships. Great. So this is a big question and I probably need to do a, a podcast on the mm. whole thing because mentorship is such, mm. such a huge subject. But I, I'll give you a couple of things, Cole. If you send me a letter and say, Brian, I want you to be my mentor, the answer is no. Not a chance. Mm-hmm. I have 40,000 of those, Cole. So how did I do it? What I first did was I looked inside my list of relationships I already have. Like I said, you know, Luke Skywalker wanted to be a Jedi Knight, and he wanted to do these big exotic stuff and whatever else. And here was crazy old Ben Kenobi, a guy he already knew. Mm -hmm. Right underneath your nose are people who are wise, Mm -hmm. have insight, Mm -hmm. have life experiences that you don't. And so my first mentors were people I met at church. They were clients I served where they came to me for real estate help, but they had a great family. And I'm like, okay. And Beverly and I would go to lunch with them and and sit down with them, build a relationship with them. Mm. I was asked to serve on a fundraising committee at a church. And I was there and I gave a lot of time and effort and tried to help this church raise money to go buy a building, which we did. But I noticed there were some really wise people some gray hairs sitting around the table. And one by one, I'd say, well, I'd love to take you for a coffee. And bit by bit, I found great wisdom and insight with those people, okay? So that's the first part there, Cole, is there's people already in your life, already in your database that you can learn from. They're strong in an area where you need to grow. And you might be strong in an area where they need to grow, and that's good too. The next thing is, how did I build a relationship with the Jim Rohns and the Zig Ziglars? Mm. Is that I worked on myself so hard, I became one of those people. So then what happens is, Cole, you send me a, a personal note many years from now. I all already know who you are, and you'll be a peer. And I might have something to share, but you'll have something to share with me. We started this broadcast off with Kelly showing around the studio and a lot of my mentors on the walls and nice pictures. All of these people here, they were heroes of mine long before I ever met them. But by the time I did meet them, I had established myself as a successful person. And every single one of these people has something to learn from me right. as I had something to learn from them. So that's really the key goal is become as successful as you can yourself, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And what happens is then you become a person who attracts these kind of people to yourself. Mm. So when you do have a chance to interact with them, they recognize it in you mm-hmm. and you recognize it in them. So big answer. I'll probably do a podcast on the whole yeah. thing, Cole. It's a great question. Thanks for asking. Love it. By the way, the last question about investing, that was episode 54, Investing 101 with Brian's Financial Brain Trust. And that's an awesome episode where he kind of gets into uh, some of your financial, kind of your mastermind group that Mm -hmm. that you spend time talking with Mm -hmm. about money. Monica Micus, I hope I got that right, from Racine, Wisconsin. Monica used to live up the road from you. How can newer agents, I'm just stuck on that phrase in this episode, up the road or down the road. Yeah, right. How can newer agents, not me, deal with the rise in interest rates? Mm-hmm. Presenting the Pathway to Mastery training program tomorrow to agents in my office. Nice. Stoked to start a new program. Thanks for the great question, Monica. Yeah, it's been a ex- very exciting launch to the new training program. So mm-hmm. very excited about that. January 2nd, the first class is starting. Thousands of people mm-hmm. getting off to it's the best one we've built. So I'm excited for you, Monica. You're going to learn a lot while facilitating that class. I think how do people deal with the interest rates is this, a perspective, okay? The historical average for real estate in the last mm-hmm. 20 years is still just under 9%. Mm-hmm. So when somebody says 5%, it's still a really good number. It's really still very cheap money. It's just a point of reference is for. And it's just understanding the dynamic that we've had artificially low rates, That's why, in bold predictions, I'm talking about how strong the economy is, but yet real estate is not going to necessarily receive the benefits of that. 
Mm-hmm. It will in certain dynamics at the higher end, for example, or in large track development, there'll be some money for that. But the fact of the matter is, real estate has been artificially propped up. We've had a policy of quantitative easing for many years that made the dollar, you know, we printed more dollars. And it was the right policy. I mean, how long it went on and whatever else, that's all debatable. Right. But it was the right policy. We were in a giant recession, mm-hmm. and we had to do something with our monetary policy. So what happened was there was artificially low interest rates. At one stage, banks were being given the money for free, and even bonus to take the money for free. So, you know, that's not something that's going to sustain. Money never right. costs nothing. Right. And so we've had next to nothing interest rates for a long, long time. There's no doubt emotionally your buyers starting out in 2019 are not going to feel as excited because they feel like they've missed the Black Friday sale. Bottom line is, people are going to get used to 5% here pretty mm-hmm. soon. And there'll probably be a little adjustment. I think the economy's so hot, we'll see a couple of interest rates, even mm-hmm. more than that. But it'll still be in the fives, and fives will become the new normal, and people will be okay. Mm-hmm. Marty Bautista in Larksburg, California. How are you, sir? How are we doing now with the housing shortage? Marty, again, on bold predictions, Brian did share that we'll move from 4.3 to 6 months, so that pretty much means we'll see the market stabilize there. Uh, Valesa Linian from Anchorage, Alaska. Do you have tips for marketing listings as market times increase and communicating with sellers to keep them happy as their homes sit longer on the market? Brilliant, Valesa. Great question. Very, very intuitive. Definitely, you don't need much of a marketing plan when the property sits on for 19 days before getting three (laughs) offers, right? So now that becomes very important. Oh, by the way, Joe is going to be covering this more specifically at the Game Changers events. So definitely encourage you guys to get to those as part of your membership there, Mm -hmm. Valesa. And we're going to continue to develop more and more resources here, specifically in the form of a completely built-out marketing plan for someone soup to nuts, how to, you know, present to a seller an entire game plan for six months, even though we're not going to be near that. I think the big key, Valesa, is really laying out expectations, letting them know it's going to take a little longer, it's going to be a bit more work. And oh, by the way, that's fantastic because sellers feel better about paying your commission when it takes longer to serve, longer to sell, harder work involved. They feel a lot better about it. I mean, yeah, think about true. it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had it happen. I'd put a house on the market and sell it the next day. And a person would look at me and they'd go, you're charging me this and it was mm-hmm. 24 hours. Now, it wasn't 24 hours because I had to land the plane. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you had to sell the house two or three more times and go through this and go through that, whatever else. Even if I brought in a buyer myself, which is, you know, that's high-level professionalism, they'd be like, uh, that's a lot of money for one day's work. <laughs> you follow? So when the market time extends out, it's a great pros market. So mm-hmm. laying out expectations. Here's how it's going to work. Here's what happens week one. Here's what happens week two through four. Here's what's going to happen. I'll be checking in with you every Friday. Once you know getting your home sold is a high priority to me. And then giving them those market updates and the whole process. Again, Valesa, lean into your coach. You'll be yes. hearing more about, about that. Mr. Nigo's actually coming to town January 10th, I believe, to do a, tr- a training for the coaches on this very topic. So nice. your coach will have a lot of resources for you. Rich Nesbitt from Meridian, Idaho. Rich, you have an interesting question. What does the next 10 years hold? Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> the Karnak. Uh. So, okay, Rich, I don't actually have a crystal ball. What I do have is great access to research data. David Lally, by the way, is not just the golden tones here on the podcast. Dave heads up the research department here at Buffco, and we have some of the best research. Of, I mean, I mean, the research we had for this 
about predictions, we could have done probably five or six shows, right? Yeah, or a couple of books. Out of yeah. It, probably. So we have great content and information on this. Mm-hmm. But it's about understanding data, and it's about understanding historical performance, mm-hmm. and then adjusting from there. The big dynamic is what's going to happen to the real estate business, if you're asking that. And the big thing is this, is the disruptors are not nearly as disruptive as they think they are in real estate. Why? Because there are certain basic fundamentals of real estate, which is it's still a labor-intensive business. Mm. You're still handling a very large investment for people that they're very nervous and anxious about. It's a big decision. It's an emotional decision. There's a bunch of physical work to do, from inspections to disclosures getting the properties appraised, getting it marketed, getting it sold, getting it through a transaction, getting the loan approved. It's still a lot of work. And, you know, the, the magic dates of, oh, 24 hours approval and click this button and add it to my shopping cart. It's all dreamland, you know. <laughs> it's all dreamland. So what I do see happening is in the, the real estate business is increased commission pressure mm. at the consumer level, which is then going to have a knock-on effect from the agent's to the broker, and we already see splits and fees becoming more and more shrunk in the area of the brokerage business, and brokerages are really having to rediscover how to make it work. Mm. And we're working with the brokers we support to really make a business model that, to be honest with you, doesn't make sense right now. The brokerage business doesn't make sense right now, except if you, you have to have very, very specific approach to where you can actually make a living as a broker. And so... I know our brokers that are here, we have your back. We have a model figured out for you. But that's going to be the big change. And I think the big brands and the big changes are coming to how does the brokerage model survive the changes in the real estate business. That's the biggest thing you're going to see. Uh, Brandon Murray from Vista, California, wanted to know about market times. Uh, They'll probably increase. The number of sales will likely be the same as 2018. What will sales prices do in 2019? Well, first of all, Brandon from Vista, well done, which is right down the road, by the way, David, I don't know if you know <laughs> knew that. that was coming. But um, first of all, congratulations for actually watching the bloody bowl predictions and listening to it. So well done. We got about 50 questions where people apparently hadn't even watched it and were asking the same things. No offense, there are such things as stupid questions. But what you did was sales are the same, no question. Prices are going to be about the same. NAR forecast price changes to be 1% to 3% increase nationally. In a market like yours, Brandon, probably flat. Okay, So bottom line is the market's going to do about the same number of transactions it did last year. The rates are slightly higher. The economy is super good overall. Uh, and so consumer confidence is high. People are still being employed. We have 7.5 million unfulfilled jobs in the States. We have middle-class incomes are increasing. So there's a lot of good things. The fly-by-night real estate companies, they're going to struggle. All the tech disruptors that think they're going to just take over the industry, a lot of them are going to struggle. A lot of the house flipping is going to start tightening up. That's already gone down considerably. Mm -hmm. So what is it? I think it's a great market for a first-time buyer, a great market for a seller. I think it's a great market for a professional real estate agent that generates their own leads. And I think if you're going to outsource your leads to a third party, you are screwed. Deidre from Glen Ellen, Illinois, wanted to know, while the lifeblood of our business is listings, we need a strategy for selling them once we have them. So same answer as that to Velissa. Yeah. Okay, and so stay tuned, lean into your coach, go to Game Changers. I'm not going to cover the entire marketing approach to a listing here in, in three minutes, but we have that all laid out and prepared Great. as we're expecting market times to mm-hmm. double. 
Julie Wads, hi to you from Longview, Texas. How can independent brokers better retain their agents? Great. So, Julie, I think this is not just a question for independent brokers. I don't believe right now there's any difference with independent and the large franchise organizations in regards to retention of agents. As commission pressure hits the agents, agents are looking for more efficient ways themselves. And there's a lot of companies out there that will say for very low fees or for this or that, uh, come join us. And I think you're going to have to be prepared that some of those folks are going to make those decisions. Now, whether those organizations work long term, all of a sudden the agents find themselves isolated and alone. And where's the camaraderie? Where's the connection? Where That's to be decided. So I think the real thing is you need to focus on your people. And it's all about building relationships. And here's what I know. If people see value and they think, okay, it costs a little bit more to be here, I'll stay. It costs a little bit more to buy Starbucks than it does to buy coffee at a gas station. Uh, our sound engineer, Danny Everson, actually just passed out because he's such a coffee aficionado <laughs> slash snob. So, but the fact of the matter is people will pay more. Danny, are you on the microphone there? Yep. What's a good barista? What's a really good fancy cup of coffee cost? Uh, about six bucks. Six dollars, right? And so what's the difference between that and say, come on, tell me now, someone going to the uh, Starbucks? Uh, it all depends on where the coffee's sourced from mm. and how it's roasted. Nice. So I'd say those are two of the factors that would... Right. And then you have people who will go, they'll go to McDonald's before they go to Starbucks. And McDonald's wins a bunch of the taste tests, right? So what do we know? Is there's no shortage of people going to Starbucks... And there's people like you will go pay six bucks for a cup of coffee based on where it's sourced and so on and so forth because based on the value. And so that's the same thing in the real estate business. If you're a broker, your job is to provide value. Can I trust you? Are you good at what you do? Do you care about me? You know, I pay a lot of money to my coach, Michael Stromness, who you'll be hearing from in January. I'm going to do a podcast with him. He's called The Enlightened Savage. And I drive 25 minutes. Every piece of gym equipment that he has in his private gym, I have in my home. I have the equipment. It's, awesome. it's in my garage. I have a whole, mm. I have a four-car garage, so I have a whole room, the mirrors, the whole thing set up, yada, yada. Every day I drive into the garage and I look at it and I go right past it. And every morning I get in my car and I back out and I see it and I wave goodbye. I drive 25 minutes on the freeway. I pay a lot of money. Why? Because this guy's really good at what he does. Mm. He's really into me. And he's really specializes. Mm-hmm. Can I trust you? Are you good at what you do? Do you care about me? If you're a broker, you need to make people feel special. You need to invest one at a time. You need to connect. And you have to be prepared. Based on all that, some people are going to not pay six bucks for the coffee. They're going to go get McDonald's. Or based on that, some people are going to pay the six bucks. They're going to go to Starbucks. Okay? Love it. So just got to invest in your people. Chris and Maria Gentet from Redding, California. Your opinion on Compass. They say they're the future of real estate. So, again, I don't want to particularly talk about any specific brand here. You know, we at Buffini Company, we serve them all. We have a bunch of Compass agents that are in our coaching programs. We have a bunch of Remax and Keller Williams and Caldwell Bankers and a bunch of independents. So we serve them all. Compass has come into the market. They've got big money behind them. They're very well packaged and very well presented. And it looks very nice. Their marketing is very nice. And they say there's something the real estate business has never seen before. And... Just unfortunately, I've been around 32 years, and they certainly look like something I've seen before. But they're nice. They've got nice branding, nice market. And again, I think it's all about relationships and connections. And if you are in a relationship with a Compass broker and you think that's the fit for you, God bless you. Mm. 
Adam Hopkins from Forest, Virginia. This is kind of a related question. Will brokerage commission structures continue to be disrupted by flat fee discount brokers? Yes. Okay. Yes, they will. Okay. And I, I kind of address that to some degree. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see more and more of that. The commission rate in the real estate business keeps shrinking. Brokers are continually having to find ancillary ways to make mm-hmm. money. And again, the pendulum swings. The market changes. The market changes for the agents. All of a sudden, an agent's sitting on a house, and they're sitting on a house for three months, and that yeah. happens again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And now they're like, who do I talk to? Who has my back? And uh, that's becoming more and more of a challenging dynamic. So the models in real estate have changed. Yeah. Uh, the most profitable brokers are either very small, and they're selling themselves, or they're very, very large. And again, I, I didn't want to get down into this too far, but I'm here, so I might as well keep digging the hole for myself. We used to talk about Death Valley. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I'd be candid with you. There are real estate companies that blackballed our coaching services because when we would talk to brokers, we would say, if you are 10 or fewer and you keep selling, you can make money, or you're 40 or more, you don't have to sell, and you can make money. And anything in between is Death Valley. Well, there were companies that literally blackballed me for those statements because they were selling franchises and the average person was 23 or 25. Well, guess what? 90% of brokerages between 10 and 40 people do not make money. Brand-wise. And there's not a single real estate company in the world will get on this call with me and have a conversation with me. And the truth of the matter is the number is bigger now. So I'm going to say the optimal real estate is eight or less or 60 or more. So Death Valley has gotten deeper and wider. So you better get real big or you better get real small and sell. Wow. That's helpful information for people. Nydia Valenzuela from Los Angeles and Sarah Keanu from Burlington, Ontario. Both of your questions are kind of related to that. And Nydia wanted to know, are teams the future and the single agent obsolete? And Sarah had asked, is this a good or bad time to start a team? I feel like you kind of address those Well, like I said, teams are, teams are a big part of the real estate business. Hmm. And here's why. Okay. I mean, I'm going to lay my cards out on the table. You want it? Here it is. The average real estate broker agent split in America right now is 85-15. The average team leader split is the team leader gets 65, the team member gets 35. Follow the money. Mm. And real estate at 50-50 and 60-40 has always worked for a broker. And in the modern world we live in today with technology and support and all the different things that are out there, individual agents are demanding a higher commission. I did. I went to 100% desk fee place before I built my own brokerage. And so the margins make sense. And so there's a lot of people who be very uncomfortable hearing this stuff, but these are just numbers. These are just numbers from the National Association of Realtors. These are numbers from real trends. This is from CAR mm-hmm. and NAR. I mean, I'm just restating facts here. Yeah. And so what does that mean? It's very beneficial if I'm a team leader and if I can get 65% of the commission and pay out 35%, that if I can generate the leads, train up someone how to do the job, and they're happy enough at 35%, that makes sense. Mm. So teams are here to stay as long as the team leaders focus on lead generation. Real lead generation, not buying eyeballs, not buying impressions, right. not buying inquiries, mm-hmm. actual real-life genuine leads. So is this a good time to start a team? Yeah, and one of the reasons for it is a lot of the millennials that have entered into the real estate business are saying, if I can make a hundred grand, I'm over the moon. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to not work more than 40 hours a week. I want to be able to take some trips. I want to be able to do that. I don't want to have all this pressure. And so, you know, that kind of a balanced approach and less economically ambition, more lifestyle ambition with a lot of younger folks means they're more than happy to be part of a team. Mm -hmm. 
And so you as the team leader can do very, very well. And so culturally, there's been a shift. The market has been a shift. We're seeing more and more teams now that are affiliated with a brand that are getting independent office space. And they have a couple of assistants, two, three buyer's agents. Bob's your uncle. Hmm. But it, it makes sense. Follow the money. The numbers make sense. 65-35 makes sense for a team leader. Yeah. We've got a, just a couple more questions. Megan Gray from Virginia. Do you think areas with long days on market will get longer? We are at 180-day market right now. Wow. I wonder what part of Virginia that is. So I'm out there quite a bit. 180 days is kind of a Mendoza line for a uh, recessionary market. So if you've had specific economic, like, you know, let's say it, you know, during, for example, there's been boom periods, but all of a sudden the, the Texas oil fields failed. So in certain areas around Houston mm -hmm. and West Texas, they had a micro economy. So uh, I'm not sure what part of Virginia, this is where it'd be great to- It looks like Lexington, I think. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I'm right there. Uh, Lexington, Virginia. So there's, I would guarantee you there's probably some micro economics have taken place there that uh, are affecting that marketplace. So I'm not sure whereabouts that is. I, I'd be surprised. I know market times across the country are going to double, but I don't think it's going from 180 days to 360. Otherwise, uh, that's a real hard line. I mean, I was in the early 90s. It was a massive recession in Southern California, massive. Mm -hmm. And our market time was 181 days. So that's wow. 180 day market's a recession market. Mm. Samantha Dunn from Philadelphia, we're going to leave you with the last question for today's bold predictions. And uh, thanks, Brian, for following up. You did this fantastic presentation recently, and we had so many people who wanted to hear more about what you shared that day. Mm. They got a lot more value again today. What is a good summary explanation for when asked by the general public, how is the market? Market's great. It's a good time to buy. Going to have a little bit more selection. A few more houses to choose from, but the market's still moving pretty quick. The economy itself is very good. There's a lot of money in the market. So if you're selling, you're going to find a buyer. And if you're a buyer, you might actually get a chance to choose between two houses. And you might not have to fight off 10 offers. So right now, it's a really good time to buy. It's a really good time to sell. The market's very stable. Mm. And I think people like those words when it comes to finances. Love it. Samantha, hopefully that answered your question. And a lot of listeners, I'm sure, will appreciate that little dialogue. I think that's it for now. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I certainly did. Uh, some awesome stuff in there. Don't forget to head over to thebrianbuffinishow.com if you're not yet a Buffini insider so you can take advantage of all the free bonus materials we have for you and uh, an opportunity for you to get your questions answered again on shows like this. I think I'm not alone in saying this is Brian at his best when he's just kind of down in the weeds with you guys on the pressing topics of the day. So as we finish here today, I'll leave you with Brian's mum for a little Irish blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Bye.